I was checking my watch there for a second. I thought he was just going to keep going. I thought I could take this thing off, but um, uh, he did not. Um, I just want to be honest with you guys. I debated on whether or not to wear a tie today. Um, ultimately decided to uh, because I found out my mom was going to be here. Uh, and so just really was, was no, no question about it. Uh, but I've got to say, I'm kind of regretting that decision uh, just a little bit right now. Um, so uh, we're going to continue in, in uh, the series that we've been in this year uh, with the, the story of David. as who we're going to focus on today. Um, before we get to that, uh, in his first solo outing, Steve Rogers was a scrawny, 90-pound asthmatic. Uh, that's how he's uh, described as by one of the characters. Um, and he was desperately looking for a chance to serve his country during World War II. And he gets this chance in the form of the super soldier serum. Uh, and he turns into this. Yeah, there he is, Captain America. Um, I wore my best colors today just to kind of you know, give the idea. Um, Make that comparison later, I guess. Um, but before the serum, uh, he has to go through boot camp with the rest of the recruits, uh, where it becomes even more apparent that uh, there's nothing really physically exceptional about him. Uh, the doctor that is considering him for the experiment later shares with him that the reason he is chosen um, was that the strong man, who has known power all of his life, may lose respect for that power. But the weak man knows the value of strength. This pep talk gets to the heart of really who Captain America is as a character. Um, and so near the climax of the movie, uh, he's face-to-face with the main antagonist uh, of that movie. Uh, and he wants to know what's so special about Captain America. To which he responds, nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. And so the idea there is that despite this amazing power that he's been given, uh, really all he is is an ordinary guy uh, who wants to do the right thing. And so if you're, you are familiar with our uh, text today, um, you may already be able to see the connection between this fictional character uh, and the biblical character of David. And so the, the questions that we want to ask today and want to try and answer um, are first, why did God use such an ordinary kid in this extraordinary way? Uh, and then second, uh, what does this actually mean for us today? Um, so if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 16, um, that's where we're going to pick it up today. Uh, just while you're doing that, uh, if you're visiting this, this Sunday, we are working through the, the whole Bible, as I've said. Uh, we landed here this Sunday. Um, so just the first, we're kind of skipping over the first half of 1 Samuel, so I'll uh, just kind of catch you up on what's going on. Um, so after the terrible downward cycle of the judges, and we learned about that two weeks ago, Israel decided what they really needed was a king. And so God's response to that is sort of, well, that was supposed to be me. That was, that was kind of what I'm here for. Uh, and they said, well, yeah, but we want one that we can see and touch and who will lead us into battle and, and take care of us. Uh, so God says, you're going to end up regretting that. Uh, but he agrees to do it. And so he told a prophet named Samuel um, to find a king. And Samuel chooses a man named Saul. Now Saul was, he was really the obvious choice. Uh, he was tall and pretty charismatic. Uh, people didn't have a problem following him. Uh, he was pretty good looking, a uh, great warrior, and smart. And so no one was really surprised by this choice. And he started out pretty good even, he, uh, but he turned out uh, to be like a king, just like most kings, and the power corrupts his heart. He became proud and self-willed. He used his position to, of power to serve himself rather than the people he was called to lead. 
using and abusing people and bending the laws of God whenever it served him. And so God rejected him as king and told Samuel to go look for a new king. God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint this new king. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that, that Jesse was the grandson of Ruth, uh, which we talked about last week on, in the worst Mother's Day sermon ever. Uh, those are not my words. I'm just, that's a quote. Um, so uh, Jesse, he, he answers the door, and Samuel says, God told me one of your sons was supposed to be king. And immediately, Jesse knows. He, he's like, I know exactly who you're talking about. I'll go get him, Eliab. Uh, and so he brings him out. And this is where we pick it up in verse 6. Verse 6, we'll start there. It says, When they came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So we probably get the idea that Eliab looked kingly. Uh, He was probably tall and had a commanding presence. He had those blue steel eyes. Um, You know, just all the the works. Uh, But then verse 7 says, uh, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now Samuel really should have known better. Um, we just talked about the, the failure of, of Saul uh, and just kind of the mistakes that he made and how people judge him by his outward appearance. Um, and so you, could, you can kind of ask the question, like, you know, Sam, Samuel, don't you remember what just happened? You know, this was just a, a chapter ago, literally. Um, but if you trace the, the, the story of Eliab, um, you'll see the, that Eliab kind of turns into a critical and arrogant and really untrusting of God, um, even though he looked kingly. And so God is saying that he's looking for something different uh, in his king. And so when God looks for leaders, he doesn't look at what we look at, uh, and he doesn't value what we typically value. And so he's not after the pretty face, and he's uh, never looked at someone and said, wow, that's a, a great dresser there, and um, an impressive resume, or nice body. Uh, he looks at the beauty here, uh, and here alone. And so just before we move on, uh, just a, a quick question, just to kind of think through uh, in your own life, how much time do we spend preparing our hearts? Um, so we spend a lot of time obsessing over what we look like on the outside, uh, we'll w- go work out or, or try and dress in the best way possible, uh, try to say the right things. Um, and th- I think that a lot of you probably thought about that on the way here. Um, I definitely thought about that. I only have to go across the car- parking lot, though, so I didn't think about it as much. So uh, I'm good there. Uh, but really, the whole time we're, we're thinking these things, God is looking for things like purity and humility and compassion. He's looking for people who are quick to ask forgiveness uh, and quick to forgive. Well, Samuel should have known this, um, but even the best prophets forget things from time to time. Uh, so God just says to Samuel, nope. Um, and so Samuel says to a surprise Jesse, well, God has not chosen him. Uh, do you have another son? And then uh, if you go jump down to verse 10, uh, it says, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? Um, And now this this question is kind of confusing to us because it seems sort of like a dumb question, honestly. Um, But Samuel asks it, and, and you can kind of imagine Jesse kind of counting on his fingers. Oh, yes, there's, there's David. There's another. Um, 
And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Now, youngest uh, in Hebrew uh, is the word hakaton. That is a, that's a fun word to say. You can take that to lunch with you today and impress all your friends. Um, but this word really, don't call anyone this because it really can mean small or even insignificant. Uh, David was, by all understanding, a runt. Uh, he would be very overlooked. And to add to that, uh, it says that he was keeping the sheep, um, which is considered the lowest job in Israel. Uh, so continuing uh, there in verse 11, uh, Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. So you can kind of imagine Samuel seems sort of like a uh, impatient older gentleman here. Um, you know, he's saying, uh, you can kind of imagine him rolling his eyes, uh, doing the, the classic Zach eye roll. Uh, if you don't know what that looks like, just go ask really anyone in the college. They love uh, mimicking that. Uh, they'll demonstrate that for you. Um, you can kind of imagine him doing that, and just he, he's frustrated with Jesse that he forgot one of his kids. Um, and he says, we're not even going to sit down uh, until you go get David. So he sends some guy to, to get David. Uh, verse 12, and he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. Ruddy. Some say this means he was redheaded and freckled. Others say this means that he was dirty, disheveled, tanned, and smelled like the pasture. How this one word can mean these two things, I don't know. Um, But we do know that he had pretty eyes. Uh, And the point here is that he doesn't look like a king. Um, He's not the the kind of guy that you're going to follow into a war. He's just a runt kid with a baby face. And so for kind of our, our modern understanding, you can kind of think of a, a Jonas brother or, um, or a, a, a beetle, I guess, um, or our, our own beetle that we have here. Uh, that's that's uh, Johnny and Andreas. So um, happy birthday. Um, verse 12. Verse 12 says, And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Uh, and then 13 ends, and from, this day, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. See, David's strength was not going to come from his inward awesomeness. Uh, we already established that he didn't really have any of that. Uh, that's not why God chooses him. Uh, he's going to come, it's going to come from the Spirit of God. Um, and in fact, that's really going to be why God chooses him, because he's not full of himself. Um, because whenever you're full of yourself, you can't really be full of the, the, the Spirit of God. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, the intro that we have uh, of David. And so we're going to skip ahead now to uh, chapter 17. Chapter 17. There is a reason they invented water. Um, that was it. All right. Uh, so we're, here we, we're really at the probably, I would say, the most famous story uh, in the Bible. Um, you know, if you ask anyone on the street, they're going to know the story of David and Goliath. And so here's what I know about this story. Um, I know that virtually everyone in here uh, is pretty familiar with this passage. Uh, so most of you have probably heard several sermons or lessons or read a couple books related to this story. Really, I think the familiar, familiarity is, is so much that um, if we were going to have an open mic night later tonight and just say, hey, everybody prepare a sermon or lesson on David and Goliath uh, and bring it back tonight, um, you know, a lot of you could do that and you'd probably do pretty well. Um, but I am suggesting this morning that most people think that they know the story of the Bible uh, or the story of this, this story. 
but really there are some deep biblical realities in this passage that can unlock not only the meaning of the Bible, but also the secret of the Christian life. Um, and so with that in mind, we'll kind of walk through chapter 17. Um, I think the, an open mic night for preaching would be awesome. We should definitely consider that in the next staff meeting. Um, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um, so uh, verse 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. So really quick, who were the Philistines? Uh, short answer is they're, they're the bad guys. A uh, little bit longer answer. The Philistines were a group of people still living in the land of Canaan uh, that the Israel, Israelites had failed to drive out. And so in this time, the Phil- Philistines were the strongest, uh, most technologically advanced people of the time. They were, first, they were the first civilization to work with metals. And because of that, they had superior weapons. Um, and the Israelites were fighting at this time with, compared to what the Philistines had, uh, rocks and sticks. Um, so naturally, you can see, you can understand why Israel would be pretty tetrahed uh, of them. Um, verse 3, it says, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp the Philistine, uh, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And so in, in our modern in our modern measurements, uh, Goliath would have been 9'6", and so he would have been just short uh, of a basketball goal uh, and just uh, a few feet taller than Sam Owens, um, just to, for, for a reference. Um, verse 5 says, He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. Uh, it's not a coat of postcards, just in case you were wondering. Um, and the weight of the coat... <laughs> thank you. Um, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, uh, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And so you notice that they keep bringing up the bronze and the metal. And the Philistines were really the only ones that doing anything with those things at this point, uh, which is to say that Goliath has the advantage again. Um, verse 7, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his, the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted at, to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, uh, then you shall be our servants. And so, do you ever wonder why there are only two people uh, really focused on in this story? There's a whole army of people, and, but really the focus is David and Goliath. Um, that's even in the title. Um, what's really going on here is, a, is an ancient practice uh, known as representative warfare. Um, and this practice is, uh, and what would happen in this is one person would fight uh, on behalf of the army, and if they win, you win. So that's kind of, they, they choose one guy, uh, send him out. Good luck. Hope you win because if you win, you know we benefit from that. Um, if we're doing that today, uh, I think we're definitely choosing uh, Callan Kudar. That kid um, is a savage. Uh, so go ask him to play bloody, bloody knuckles later. Um, he will do it. Uh, but keep the keep the, this idea of representative warfare. Keep that in your mind. 
Uh, verse 16 says that every morning and evening he did this for 40 days. And so every morning at breakfast he's saying, give me a man that we may fight together. And at night while they're sitting around roasting their s'mores or doing whatever they, they do at night, uh, they're, they're, he's saying, give me a man. He's shouting at them. Uh, verse 11 says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words uh, of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So, meanwhile, back at the ranch, Jesse sends ruddy little David uh, up to see his brothers at the battle with uh, some snacks, some cheese and crackers probably, uh, something like that. If you, so if you jump down to, to verse 20, uh, it says, And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. And so he finds a sheep sitter, like a responsible young man. Uh, he took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And so all this, this amazing story that we are so familiar with happens essentially um, because David is making a donut run for his dad. Um, so he brings the snacks to his older brothers who are doing the fighting. But really, the, the fighting is not the, the technical word here. Uh, what's happening up until this point is just them shouting insults back at each other. Um, so, you know, one side's, you're dumb, and the other guy's like, well, your mama's a Goliath, or, you know, something like that. Um, verse 23, uh, I, can, I can say that joke now because it's not Mother's Day. Um, verse 23 says, As David talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. If you drop down to 32, uh, it says that David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, and when he says this, you can kind of hear the, the condescension in his voice. Uh, he says, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. Uh, so in other words, this guy is, he's really been fighting in wars longer than you've been alive, David. Uh, verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And I used to, I mean, I was keeping sheep this morning. Um, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. So David's saying, you know, Goliath is going to, he's not going to be a problem for me. Uh, when I was a shepherd this morning, um, I went and I caught this Rick Kleinard bear and I beat him with my own hands. Uh, you know, there's no problem for me. Recliner has a beard, and he says the, the bears had a, a beard. It didn't land. Uh, Harper, that, that joke didn't land. Um, all right, so verse 37. Verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Uh, basically saying, good luck dying. Um, verse 42. Uh, when, the fall, when the Philistines looked and saw David, uh, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Uh, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, um, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And really, uh, David is doing a very good job with the trash talking so far. Um, 
And he continues, And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So David's saying, I have, I've got two goals, two goals today. One is that the world will know that there is a God. Uh, and then two, he's saying that this assembly, Israel, the, the guys behind me who are scared out of their minds to come and face you, that they would be reminded of the power of the God that they serve to provide salvation. Verse 48, when the Philistine, Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle, uh, to the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead. Um, and he thought, well, this is the last thing to enter my mind. Um, and he fell. Just think about it. Um, and, he, and he fell on his face to the ground. Verse 50 says, So David prevailed um, over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So, that's, that's the, the story of David and Goliath. So, the question we want to ask now is, what is the main point of this story? What is the main point of this story? Is it um, that the bigger they are, the harder they fall? That's a uh, saying that we've probably all heard comes right from the story. Is that the main point? Or is it that there's always hope for the underdog, so never stop believing in yourself? Um, or how about if you trust in God, uh, he will give you victory over all the giants in your life, uh, whether that's a superior team or a lousy job or even something as terrible as cancer. Or maybe it's God has appointed you to conquer the giants of, of me- mediocrity and dominate in your workplace. And so many of us have probably heard uh, applications similar to this, uh, but are these the main points of this story? And so here's the problem that we often have when, we, when it comes to biblical application. Uh, usually when we come to a story like this, we, we say it's David is you or David is me, but that's not how the Bible works. What's really going on here is, is more something like this, David, Jesus, and then you. So we can't really, we cannot eliminate the middleman here. Uh, this book, the Bible that we study every week, is not first and foremost about you. It's not about me. The Bible is not about us. This book is about God, and it was written so that we might adore Him. The point of the Bible is to focus our attention on God. It's absolutely crucial that we understand uh, that we understand this fact, and it's essential, especially this, this year as we're going through this series, Our Story, His Story, that we don't flip that and, and try to see how God fits into our story, but rather how we fit into His. Um, we are serving God. He does not serve us. And so the Bible's not really, he's, it's not even giving us a collection of, of heroes to emulate. I mean, you could just kind of go through the list of, of the Old Testament figures. Um, so you think about Abra- Abraham. Uh, we talked about him, I guess it's been a few months ago now. Uh, he, but we know that he, he lied. If you're familiar with your Bibles at all, he lied twice about his wife. Um, 
And then even probably worse than that, he took matters into his own hands uh, when, t- when trying to supply an offspring. Uh, and you can kind of look in the Middle East now and see all the terrible things that have happened because of that. Um, if you continue, Moses, uh, we know that he had really bad anger issues. Uh, we know that he killed a guy in Egypt. Uh, that's why he left Egypt. Uh, and when he's in the wilderness, all those years later, he, he strikes a rock uh, because he's so angry and frustrated at the people of Israel. And for this reason, God said he, he would not enter the promised land. Uh, even our, our character today, David, it, in this story, we, we see how awesome you know, this whole story is. Uh, but, and I think that we're going to touch on this. We know that later on, David sleeps with another man's wife uh, and then has that, that man killed uh, to cover it up. Um, so, the point of the Bible is not to, to focus our attention on these people, really just um, other ordinary humans like us, but it's to focus our attention on the God who uses these humans. And so the Bible was written so that we might see Jesus. And so, you think about the life of Jesus. Jesus was a small, unassuming shepherd boy who fought the real giant, our sin and the curse of death. Uh, as our representative, on our behalf, while we stood on the sidelines like cowards, doing nothing to help him. As our representative, he lived the life we were supposed to live in our place and died the death we were condemned to die. And Jesus, like David, was opposed by all of his brothers and abandoned by everyone at the moment of battle. He walked out onto the field all alone and conquered the giant by himself. And now we, his brothers, get to share in the victory even though we didn't lift a finger to help him. See, the real giant in our lives, our real Goliath, was our alienation from God and the penalty we owed for our sin. So if we keep inserting ourselves into these, into these stories uh, the way that we so often do, um, ultimately we're just going to put a, a weight on our shoulders that we were never really meant to bear. Um, and that's going to lead to all sorts of frustrations, um, and really discouragement in the Christian life. But since we understand that David is Jesus, uh, we know that 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 still has application for us today. Uh, There is a reason that we still read the Bible. Um, So what does that mean for us today if if Jesus is the true David? Well, it means that because Jesus has taken on the the real giant in our life, uh, we can quickly realize that the other giants in our life weren't really giants at all. And so in Christ, there is no fear of death. Um, if the sickness comes in our lives, and we, we, don't, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has taken the sting of death for us. And we can, like Paul, say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we lose a loved one, we know that we have a hope uh, of meeting them again someday. And we really have no guilt in life and no fear in death. Uh, if we are in Christ. In Christ, we don't have to be afraid of the future flying out of our control. And so if we lose our job, uh, he's got us. Um, If we don't know what our plans are after graduation, he's in control. It's not the end of the world. Um, What would be the end of the world uh, would be an eternity separated from him. And if we've placed our faith in him, uh, we are secure so even if we get hurt in, in relationships, uh, we can risk again because ultimately we are secure in Christ. So in Christ also, we, we, don't, have to be, uh, we don't have to fear the disapproval of others because we, we have the absolute approval of the only one who really matters. 
And so that difficult boss at work is really no giant at all um, because we are approved by Christ. Those kids that bully you at school, uh, they're nothing compared to the hope that we have in Christ. Verse 50, as I read already, says that David prevailed um, over the Philistine. And for us, Christ has prevailed over sin. If you go down in 51, uh, it says, When the Philistines saw this, or saw that their champion was dead, they fled. In verse 52, it says, And then the men of Israel and Judah arose with a shout and pursued. Um, that, as familiar as I am with this story, uh, as I was reading through this over the past few weeks, uh, that probably stood out to me the most. Uh, they are so full of confidence because of what David has done that they run after the Philistines. And so for us today, uh, we can just end with the, the words of Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, in 2 Corinthians five seventeen to 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, or, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not confusing their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Salem, because of what Christ has done, we have a mission. We are free, but we're not just free to sit. We're free to run after those who are still fighting the fight, uh, even though they cannot win the fight on their own. Uh, we are called to, to go out and rescue those people by sharing the gospel with them and let them, letting them know what Christ has done. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so grateful for this opportunity um, just to open your word uh, and to present that to the people here at Salem. Uh, this is my family, uh, and I am grateful for that opportunity. Um, I just pray that as we leave here, that we will remember ultimately nothing that, that I have said, but really what your word tells us. Pray that that would be the, the thing that guides us uh, in our weeks uh, and in the months to come and the years and, and through whatever you have planned for us, Father. Um, if there's anyone here that uh, does not know you, God, I pray that even now you would begin to, to draw them to yourself, um, convict them of the sin in their life, uh, and bring them to a relationship with you. We love you, Father, and we thank you and praise you for all that you do in our lives. Amen.